What is up, everybody? Welcome to Skrillex, Skrillex at 9 p.m. Skrillex. I knew, dude, I knew you would comment on the house music. So is it Skrillex? No, it's someone you've never heard of. Uh, Who is it? So the title of the song is All I Need. It's by Vonzi Balco and Francis Donnell. I, I don't know. Vonzi Balco? Yeah, so... From Perfect Strangers. <laughs> it's, uh, well, what it is is, it's called NCS. It's... Uh, no credit songs, so like you can play them without having the license. So I have a ton of these songs now from being on Twitch due to the fact that I need them, or else when my streams replay, they'll get xed out. So, so like it's kind of important to have them. Um, and then I get attached to some of them, like housey, like house music. You know, you know, I'm down with my house music, bro. I got it. I went through a Skrillex phase in the gym. <laughs> it is good for the gym. I have like this whole yeah, playlist. Long, it's good for the listen, gym. Listen, as long as you're not as long as you're not epileptic, Skrillex is yeah, fine. Well, as long as you're not watching the video, right? Want 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 want. It's crazy. I'm having trouble with this camera. I don't know where like how to center my head. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, it's tough with the with the thing. Like I can make it bigger if you want the full panel here. Hang on a second. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. You're the one that wants your face up there. Well, yeah, of course I do. Oh, that's way too close, dude. <laughs> that's way too close for me. I don't need people seeing. You see my, uh, I've got, I'm sporting a nice band-aid right here on the neck. What happened? I don't know if you, can you see it? I can't see it. You'll be able to see it probably on the video. So I'll like, I get, like I get this like ingrown hair, man. It's just like not going away. So I'm meeting with customers and stuff and. Very conscious about it. Very conscious. Very conscious. I pick at it and it gets very angry. By the way, I got a comment on your t-shirt. Dude, so I was thinking about this the other day because, you know, like I like the superhero movies and Endgame's out. Um, Yeah. Dude, I hate the Superman logo. Like I see it everywhere and I really hate it. Like for whatever reason, that logo bothers me. I think it's the coolest logo that there is. B-side with one exception. The Punisher is the best logo. The Punisher is the best. Yes, there. I was. I was hoping you were going to say that. I, I prefer Batman's logo over Superman's. Personally, well, I hate Superman's, but the Punisher has the coolest logo. The Punisher skull is amazing. Yeah. So I. That's what I wear. I'll wear the Punisher stuff, the Venom stuff. I have all that stuff. This is like I don't know, ten years old. I all yeah, this stuff is it, ten years old. It's like before <laughs> I went on my anti-superhero movie raid, which I want to talk about a little bit because I did last Saturday. Maybe Sunday, maybe Sunday. Watched Infinity War. You watched Infinity. Wait, wait, wait. You watched Infinity War, or you watched Endgame? Infinity War. It's your first time watching Infinity War, right? Yes, I figured that's a good place to start. It is because that got a lot of hype. That's my favorite of all of them. I think Infinity War is the best. So, what did you think, dude? Like, come on, we're all over in space, bro. We're everywhere. We're everywhere in space. We're in. We're in different universes. People are flying from one place to the other in ships. <laughs> Let me like, just tell you something, I'm like, dude. where are we here? 
Dude, if you don't like Infinity War, you will hate Endgame. I'm just gonna tell you that. Like, if you if you think Infinity War is too mu- is too far out there, you're literally me, going to hate Endgame. Let me tell you. Let me tell you at the point where where I got into Infinity War, where I'm like, come on. And you probably know already what the what the part is, but when Thor and the raccoon show up. To this abandoned planet or whatever it is, right? And, and there's this giant turns around, <laughs> and I look at him like, "Is that?" I'm like, "Is that Tyrion Lannister?" It's Tyrion Lannister, yes, he's the giant, the giant dwarf the who makes like, a legendary and weapon. He, and they make him, they make him to try to look bigger than war. And I'm like, "Come on, man!" <laughs> there was a lot of stuff going on in that movie. All right. And you told me that you, you told me you didn't have to see anything prior. You didn't have to see. Anything I didn't say that about Infinity War. No, 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 no. You have to. St- I mean that that I mean, Infinity War and Endgame are like the culmination of all the ones before that. I never said you didn't have to see anything before that. It's just the there best people. Part I didn't know. But you have to see. You got to see a lot of movies leading up to it. Who's the guy with the bug goggles flying with the wings? That's who's Falcon. That guy? That's Falcon, dude. So that's Cap that? Boy. Bro, that's Cap's boy. See, you gotta watch. You gotta watch Captain America: The Winter Soldier. What see, happened Hulk? to Jeremy Renner? Uh, so Hawkeye is not in Infinity War, but big spoiler: he plays a big role in Endgame. Why wasn't he in Infinity War? Uh, well, they make a comment about him and Ant Man, that being Scott Lang, uh, being uh, after at the end of Civil War, which precedes Infinity War. Uh, they were, all got arrested that were on cap side, and they make a comment about them taking plea deals with the government uh, and the organization that monitors the heroes so that they weren't in the movie. They probably had prior commitments, right? Because you really don't see Gwyneth Paltrow much in that movie either, minus like one scene in the beginning. Yeah. That, that's kind of what happens. Yeah, so, so what happened? Why did the Hulk go like, uh, why did he need a, a little blue pill to get the thing on? Oh, the Hulk? Yeah, well, he, got, he wouldn't come out, right? He got his ass why, why? Thanos in the opening scene. Hulk, Hulk's never been beat before, right? And Thanos beats his ass, so he, he wouldn't come out, right? They're having a thing. Tony goes, it, so the Hulk is scared? Yeah, it, dude, that's a great scene oh, at the beginning God. of Infinity War when uh, – Bruce Banner is speaking to Tony Stark, and he's like, "Where's your guy?" And he's like, "I don't know. We're kind of having a thing. No time for a thing. Come on." The funny part was when, so you know, the little side, you know, sidekick for Thanos, the little yeah. ugly guy. Yeah, the, he looks like Groot, Groot's grandfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like Amanda came in while I was watching that one part. She's like, "What are you watching? Harry Potter?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was like, well, it Tony, like Harry Potter guy. Tony makes a quip about that too, doesn't he? I'm pretty sure he calls him something like that uh, when he comes know, in dude. because you know Tony. Um, so we, the thing with watching the movie, especially early in the morning, I started the movie at six in the morning, and it was not done at nine thirty. Yeah, it's very so long. There's there's like baby stuff to it, do in between yeah. there, so it's really hard to like sit there and pay attention and listen to every line. Very but, very long movie. I mean, I watched the whole thing. It's just like I don't know. I mean, I. I could see it if you're into it and you could follow it, but I was just like, what 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 world are we in now? You've missed. Now? I mean, you needed to have seen there's about five key movies that you needed to have watched for Infinity War, and you've missed all of them. I've like said I this said, before. I've said this before, but I get like so bored by the fight scenes where 
this guy punches that guy and he flies like seven buildings over and then he just flies back at him and the other guy flies seven buildings over and everybody wakes up and they, they get up and they're completely fine. Like, yeah, like, heroes, there's, you can't do any damage. Super strong, man. So yeah. it, that is the best of all, in my opinion. Um, I, I Like I said, I, Endgame's out right now for buy on digital. Of course, I bought it. I saw it in theaters. I've watched it a couple times again. I still think that Infinity War is better than Endgame. But of course, Endgame wraps everything up. So if you haven't seen Endgame yet, I won't give any spoilers out. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. But like I said, I'm not, you know. Speaking of the superhero deal. So uh, being that I've got Amazon Prime, that gives me access to Amazon TV. And there's a new show out on Amazon TV. You know, we like to talk about shows to watch called The Boys. And this was a much hyped up or Amazon original production. And so along the lines of what we were talking about last week or last podcast with the SPM plus and the streaming platforms and everybody trying to get up on Netflix, right? So Amazon did their own show. It's eight episodes long. And the, the lead character of the show is actually the guy who played Sheriff Lucas hood in one of my favorite shows, Banshee, which I also have highly recommended in the past. And will again, Banshee, that's a Cinemax production, uh, but it's eight episodes long and it is amazing. And the premise of the show is there are there are superheroes among us, and they pretty much do whatever they want, right? Because especially Anthony Starr's lead character, Homelander, he's like invincible. He can fly. He's basically Superman, right? And so they do whatever they want, but there's a corrupt corporation behind them, and then people get pissed off when the heroes fuck up or like fuck up their lives. So it's a really cool show. I highly recommend it. Um, it's sort of on the long lines of like Watchmen type of show, which. That's actually coming out on HBO in October. I'm pumped about that series too. The Watchmen were they were like the uh, disgraced heroes or something like that. Yeah, or the Watchmen. Like kind of the Watchmen. Right, the Watchmen. That's a great movie too. The Watchmen takes place in an alternate 1985, and what happens is the government outlaws the superheroes, so they're kind of outcasts now. But basically, it's one of the deals, almost like Batman. Like they need them to come back because the world is in crisis, and the only people that can do something about it. That that's actually a great movie too. Very long. That's made by Zack Snyder, who did uh, Three Hundred and Sin City. So if you like the way those movies are filmed, he did Watchmen. That's a great movie. Yeah. But highly recommend checking out the boys. By the way, I have to throw in a plug. If you are an Amazon Prime member, that also gives you access to Twitch Prime. Your boy swags streams on Twitch. Twitch TV backslash JRIP with two P's 18. If you have Amazon Prime, you get to give out a free subscription to a Twitch streamer once per month at no cost to you. If you have it, do me a solid and drop by and just uh, click me on that that sub. And they can win a free uh, sign up to... Well, this, so this month, I'm get, there's a giveaway. This month, uh, everybody that subscribes to my channel is in a running for a free From the Hill t-shirt. So that's pretty cool. Nice. So it is August. And it's football season, almost. Everybody's got fever. It's all over ESPN. It's sort of taken over. I'm kind of pumping the brakes a little bit, and I want to get your take on this. Uh, first, everybody's got their fantasy football drafts coming up. I don't think we're going to dive too much into fantasy football. Um, Nick and I both are in multiple leagues. We love fantasy football. But if you're going for your fantasy football advice, you can ask questions on our platforms, and you know you can text us, but I don't really want to go into fantasy football this or that. But everybody's got their drafts coming up here in the next few weeks. But preseason football, dude, are are you into this? Do you watch preseason games? No, I'm not into preseason football, but I am definitely into the storylines that kind of like go out, go throughout the preseason. Just like I love watching the uh, the, the disaster 
and the drama going on in Dallas. That's a that's a storyline definitely to follow. Uh, you have a couple different factors going on there. Obviously, the first being Zeke, which we knew about up front, um, that he wasn't going to report. He wasn't happy with his contract. And I think that they're going to get something done there. But it's nice to see that dysfunction either way. The second one was kind of more unexpected, and that was that they – you know, the news came out that they offered Dak Prescott $30 million a year for however long it was. And he turned that down. He's looking for $40 million a year, which is really nice for, for Eagles fans because that's going to put them in kind of cap hell. And then the talk about um, Amari Cooper being involved in that mix as well, which nothing has really progressed along those fronts, but they're going to have to pay all those guys. And I think Jerry's in a little bit of a, a tough spot. So much so that he's making some very, very strange metaphors. If you heard, uh, if you heard that sound bite. Uh, all right. Yeah. You covered a lot there. Let's talk about it. Uh, first, I love Jerry Jones. I know it's hard to say that as an Eagles fan. I just think he's top two best owners in the league. I know we hate the Cowboys, but I think Jerry Jones is just incredible. Uh, so a couple things here. So first, the Dak news was actually really surprising to me. Uh, $30 million per year. Puts him in the upper echelons for quarterbacks, right? And he's looking along the lines of 40. What's surprising to me, and I, I just feel like this way about Dak overall, is Dak wants to put himself in the class with Brady, who, by the way, takes a pay cut all the time, so he doesn't really count, but like Breeze and Rivers and these guys that are making all the big money, but he he doesn't put those numbers up. So well, here's the thing. Here's, the, here's the thing about that. The thing about that is that he is not – I don't think he is comparing himself to those guys. I think once the Eagles made the deal with Carson Wentz, that's where he – God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. I think that's really where he was looking and his agent was looking. If Carson got a $100 million deal, and it, in all honesty, if you do look at Dak's stats over the same time frame, he's got more wins. He's got you know the completion percentage. He's got a lot of different stats above Carson Wentz, and he stayed healthy. And I think that's where his his camp tried to steer the negotiations. Um, so it's not necessarily comparing him saying, oh, he's this is the same quarterback as Drew Brees or same quarterback as Aaron Rodgers. It was basically that Carson set the market. And for somebody who is, is his contemporary, he could compare himself to him and say, hey, my numbers are better than this guy who just got X. I get I it. I get it. And it's always with quarterbacks. We talk about this all the time. It's always next guy to the table, right? Because Stafford right now, I believe, is the highest paid quarterback in the league uh, because he no, was two years ago. Or I think he's close or he had the biggest deal. He was. Uh, he was at a certain point. But so I think um, I think that Rodgers. There's some guys making more whatever. in year total, but he's got the biggest deal currently, I think. I'd have to look it up. But. Yeah, At one point, Joe Flacco was the highest paid quarterback in the league, right? Like it's always yeah, next yeah. guy up who can get the contract and who's there. So I get it. But for me, and I think for a lot of Cowboys fans, if you ask them honestly, the league and everybody else does not value Dak at that level. So he, while the Cowboys may have undershot him a bit with 30, he's certainly overshooting at 40. And then what ends up happening here is we talk about this all the time with team building. You've got to try and get your team into a position where you can win with a quarterback who's not eating 40% of your cap, 
right? When yeah. you can get quarterbacks on their first contract when they're young, that gives you the ability to pay your other players. And when you look at the Cowboys right now specifically, right, they gave up a lot to bring in Amari Cooper, and he's up for a huge deal. And now you have Zeke. Let's talk about Zeke first before we talk about Amari Cooper. Because, I, I mean, personally, I think Amari Cooper's a top 10 receiver, so I think he deserves top 10 money, and he's up for that deal. So there's not really much to talk about there, right? Like, you got to pay him or he's going to get it somewhere else. But when you look at Zeke, Zeke is in a bad spot for a couple reasons. The first is he has two years left on his deal. And so the Cowboys really have zero incentive to pay him. Except the fact that he's their whole team, right? The problem is with Zeke and with running backs overall, it's that these guys have so many miles on the tire. We talk about it all the time from high school to college to NFL. It's not about how old you are. It's about how many carries you have. And when they hit that certain point, they just drop off. Zeke clearly is a top five back in the league. There's no question about it. But can you afford to give in this day and age running backs, huge contracts, and then carry that contract for the next two to three years? Case in point, look at the Rams. The Rams give Gurley a monster deal last year. His knees appear to be done. They're on the hook for a lot of money with him. And they're, you know, he's he looks like he's already done his productivity in the NFL. Now I hope he can come back and give him something, but guy didn't even play in the Super true. Bowl. He didn't even play in the Super Bowl, man. He's I understand that. And, and I think you're gonna see more of the of a of a load management type approach as well to this. Like obviously with other sports, the NFL is gonna catch up on analytics too, and they're not gonna drive these guys to 400, 500 carries, you know, uh, a year. And so, so just the first thing I'd like to mention, you were right. I think Stafford on a yearly basis is making, he's the most, um, I just looked that up real quick. The point that you made about Zeke and if the, if the Cowboys, you said that the Cowboys kind of have him by the balls, which is true in a way, but at the same time, you, just like you mentioned at the beginning, Jerry Jones is one of those owners that wants to win at all costs. And I don't see him if Zeke is is true to his word and he will sit out. I don't see Jerry Jones forfeiting basically because that's what he's going to be doing is forfeiting years of this window where they can win. That's true. Right. I totally agree. Especially totally with agree. some of the defensive guys that they have under contract. I don't see him forfeiting these years. I see them coming up with a deal for Zeke. And he's because he is the key to their offense. Yeah. Let's take him out of the equation. Their offense is not as dynamic as not anywhere near as dynamic as it would be with him in the offense. And that makes Amari Cooper worse. So yes. that makes Amari Cooper way less valuable. Listen, that makes Zach way less valuable. I think we can both agree on Zeke's talent and what he gives to the team, but here's the problem. And it, it goes back to, we're going to talk about baseball in a little bit and talking about analytics, but it goes to analytics where it says, almost comparing your war stat in baseball to the running back position. And what NFL analytics say is, it does not pay off to give a running back, no matter how good he is, this much of your cap compared to what you could give other running backs for the production you give. And there's always special talents in the league. I mean, the Vikings are a great example. Everybody said, look, you got to give Adrian Peterson these monster deals. You got to keep paying them. You got to keep paying them. Well, they didn't. And look, they still made the playoffs the last two years, three years without Adrian Peterson. 
that's not to say that Adrian Peterson isn't a great player. Matter of fact, he's probably a Hall of Famer. He's somewhere on the top 15, I think, of all-time rushing yards already. The guy's a monster. Adrian Peter- Peterson's definitely a Hall of Famer. But here's the thing. Running back is just that unique type of position where you can find a guy, right? And so the Cowboys, you're right. They're in a tough spot here because they had this short window. This feels a lot like, and, and I, I'm stealing this from somewhere in media that I heard it. This feels a lot like 1993, if you remember. Emmett Smith held out. I think it was either 93 or 95. Emmett Smith held out. The Cowboys started 0-2. <laughs> Jerry Jones backed the truck up, gave him a ton of money. They end up turning the season around, going 12-4 and or something, and winning the Super Bowl. But it's, it's this always constant fight between players and ownership management in football because contracts are non-guaranteed in the NFL and your shelf life is so short. You take this out to the West Coast, Melvin Gordon is threatening not to play, right? But again, you're looking at another running back who has two years left on his deal. See, here's the problem, what what we're facing now with running backs. Running backs saw Le'Veon Bell. They saw Le'Veon Bell sit out last year, and they saw him get a monster deal, and they think, well, we need to get our monster deal, right? Because once you're done as a running back, you're done, and you're done and done, done, done. But Le'Veon Bell was in a position of power because – he was already going into his second franchise tag. So they really, after that year, he didn't have to tender it, and then he was gone. He was free to go. Melvin Gordon and Zeke are not in those situations, and that's the problem that they have. They are still under these contracts, and so while their only leverage is for the team to be missing them on the field, if they sit out, they're just not getting paid, and then they can't go anywhere either. So both of them are really in a tough position. Well, and what you said about Le'Veon Bell, I think this year is really going to set the standard for what happens in the future. I think that these two guys saw what he did last year and say, Hey, we're worth more than this rookie contract that we're on. Well, let's say that Le'Veon Bell comes out and the jets absolutely stink and he plays well. Well, now teams are going to change their mindset. They're going to completely change their mindset. But on the flip side of that, let's say that he comes out and plays really well. The jets do well and they look good. Well, now that brings more value value to the running back position for the top tier running backs. And I don't necessarily put Melvin Gordon in that top tier. I think Zeke is much more of a game changer than, than Melvin Gordon is, especially, especially given that Melvin Gordon's second best running back in the league. I just want to put that out there. And I, I don't think that Zeke is on, or Melvin is on Zeke's level, but he's right there. If you look but at what numbers, does, Melvin Gordon. What does Melvin, what does Melvin Gordon mean to that offense compared to what Zeke means to the Dallas offense? And that's, that's the difference. point. That's a very good point. That and, and the, you know the second part of that is the quarterback that he's playing with. You know, I for me for one, I much rather trust my playoff hopes to Philip Rivers as opposed to Dak without Zeke. Yeah. Oh, totally agree. I mean, when you look situationally, you would take the Chargers and Rivers without Gordon over the Cowboys and Dak without Zeke. But it's interesting. It's going to be very interesting to see how these shape up. Uh, and it's it's a constant, you're right, it's a constant turnover every year of players holding out, right? And typically it's your receivers. But again, receivers just have so much more leverage because when you look at the analytics side and the player pool, right, take like Antonio Brown, for instance, right, because he's a guy who moved teams and he's a guy I want to talk about. When you, you can't you can't repl- you can't just reach out and grab an Antonio Brown, right? And I'm not saying that you can reach out and grab a Zeke, but you can put somebody in where the difference in production will be close enough 
well, you can't do that with Antonio Brown. There's not 130 catch guys just growing on trees, right? And so receivers are in such a better position of power versus running backs that it's insane. I get I get your war comparison there. I mean, I do understand that what you're trying to what you're trying to say is that what's the difference between a Zeke and then your average running back? But you have to think of it differently because it's not the same as baseball. In football, you're thinking about teams game planning against certain guys, and you know they're not going to be they're not going to be game planning against um, your backup running back. They're game planning all week for Zeke. You know what I mean? It completely changes the face of the game. It completely changes the way the game is coached. Whereas in baseball, that war comparison is obviously completely different. Okay, yes and no, yes and no. Let me hit you with the flip side of that when comparing to receivers. Here's the thing. Think about it like this. Use Antonio Brown versus Zeke, for example, right? Teams are game planning all week because it's Antonio Brown, probably the second best receiver in the league, arguably the best, right? Versus Zeke, second best, arguably the best running back in the league. But the Cowboys, who did the Cowboys just sign? I, I meant to write this down. They just signed a guy who's a pretty good player to back him up. And he played last year a little bit and did well, like his yak and everything in the offense. So the thing is, who are you missing more on a team? Are you missing Antonio Brown more or are you missing Zeke? And it could be team specific to your point in that the Cowboys seem to run their entire offense through Zeke. Whereas if you took a team like the Chargers or the Steelers, right? Take the Steelers are a perfect example. Look at what they did last year without Le'Veon Bell. They plugged James Conner in, and he made the Pro Bowl, right? And he put up Le'Veon Bell-like numbers, which isn't to say he's Le'Veon Bell, but his numbers were eerily similar, right? So depending on the offense and the team, but really it's position. Antonio Brown and the receiver position, it's harder to plug in a top-tier guy or a guy who can give you close to the numbers that your top-tier guy would than running back. And the thing is, that's just proven throughout the league, and that's one of the reasons why shelf life is so short on running backs, and you see third, fourth, fifth-round running backs getting production close to the stars, which, again, if Zeke doesn't play, Alfred Morris or whoever the Cowboys have signed as their backup will not be Zeke. But at the end of the year, his numbers might be close, but he won't break off big runs like Zeke, right? Gate teams won't worry about him as much as Zeke, but receiver to running back is just it's harder to take from your star and your next guy up where it is with running back receiver is just more difficult. Does that make sense? It does. But you know, I think like you said, I think it's definitely on a team by team basis. I mean, and then you look at taking Todd Gurley out of the Rams lineup and you know, they, they obviously missed him. They missed that. Right. But again, who, uh, the guy they got from Denver last year who the who gained a bunch of weight and everybody was making fun of him who ran for them did a great job, right? Who who am I talking about? Um that was the, it CJ uh, Anderson. CJ Anderson did a great job for the Rams in filling in for Gurley, right? Like the numbers were similar because the Rams were a running team and they have a great offensive line and they were built around that. And CJ Anderson, right, was reborn because he's running behind that same line that Gurley was. And clearly he's not Gurley, but he almost did what Gurley did. And that that's the thing. A Cowboys backup running back will almost do what Zeke does. He isn't Zeke and won't do what Zeke does, but he almost will. And that's most. No, I, see your, I, I, see your, I see your point there. I see so, your point there. Um, so I think that, it's a little bit different for the Cowboys. Well, yeah, and, and I just don't see the, yeah, I, I don't see the talent out of the, the, the quarterback. The one there. I just, I think that 
the threat of him back there, I think that opens up a world of opportunity for the other two positions. And I don't think that that's necessarily, uh, you know, I think that, that, that might be different for other teams. If that makes sense. Like I think uh, no, the Cowboys rely more on his presence there than a lot of teams with their running backs. And let's be honest, there's only like two or three of these stud running backs out there. Yes, that's true. I mean, and again, position by position, right? We're talking about the best of the best. We're talking about Zeke. We're talking about Todd Gurley. We're talking about Antonio Brown, right? These guys are the best of the best at their position in the league. So speaking of Antonio Brown, I wanted to touch on him real quick, only because a couple things have happening with him. I love Mr. Big Chest. You know I love the guy. Uh, I cringe I, whenever you say that. I thought, well, <laughs> I know. I love everything about him. Um, so, did you see his feet last week that he posted on yeah. social media? Oh my god! Yeah, he I, messed up, dude. It, it's people were saying to me, and I couldn't believe it. Like, wow, well, it's just feet. Like, he can pat his footwear. What? I'm like, do you do you understand? I, someone that's never had foot problems ever trying to play football and feet. Guys have retired. Many a guy have retired from the NFL for foot problems. Like, if you don't have great, if your feet are messed up, how can you run? How can you cut? How can you do anything? Right, his feet are what you're relying on as a, yeah. as a wide receiver. His feet are in bad shape, but he came out with something that's a little odd, and I don't really know how to take it, so I want to throw it out there. But the NFL has changed its helmet policy, and they asked Tom Brady about it, and he wore the same type of helmet that Antonio Brown did, and basically he said, "Well, yeah, this I, it sucks. I don't like it, but I got to deal with it." Well, Antonio Brown, being Antonio Brown, <laughs> said he'll not play another down in the NFL. If he doesn't get to wear his old helmet. What do you think about that? This was uh, an obvious, a pretty obvious um, attention grabber to turn the negative attention away from his feet and turn it on something else, I, I feel like. So Bob says that his feet were like that from an ice chamber. So he went into uh, one of those yeah. training chambers, and that's what yeah. happened to the bottom of his feet. But his he's, his feet are hurt. That That's yeah. that the crux of it they looked at they looked worse because well, what happened is what happened is he went into one of these cryo chambers, hyperbaric with, chambers. with no not hyperbaric the cryogenic ones so it's like they dropped the temperature down right. and it's supposed okay. to help you recover and right. but what he did was he went in there with wet socks on apparently so right. and you know when he got out he, his feet started feeling warm and weird right. and uh you know all this stuff started happening and they blew up Right. Uh, the helmet thing, because it lasted like two days, <laughs> I feel like this was just something to take everyone's mind off the feet. It was just like almost he's almost in like this. I think he's got some mental stuff going on, man. If you watch, if you watch, have you watched Hard Knocks? I haven't watched Hard Knocks yet. I'll end up watching like all three or four episodes in one night. He's got some mental issues. Yeah, I really think he does. Listen, dude. He's a character. When you go back and you look at in the pantheon, this is nothing new, by the way, the pantheon of great receivers in the league, right? All the way back to Chad Johnson or Chad Ochocinco, whatever he calls himself, T.O. Like these guys are characters, man. It takes a lot to be a prolific wide receiver in the NFL. And you're lucky if you get a guy like Amari Cooper who just does his job and doesn't say anything or Calvin Johnson, but most of these guys have got massive egos and they're crazy. So, I mean, Odell right down the line, these guys are nuts. They're, they're his just first, his, first few years, his first few years with, with 
Pittsburgh, I really don't remember him being like this. Like, I really don't remember him being outspoken and having all these problems and issues and being a diva, fighting with the quarterback, fighting well, with the coach. Because his first few years, he didn't put up 1,800 yards. But then after, he was putting, but after he started doing that year after year after year, I mean, then he gets to I mean, do that. The amount, of catches he, he, the amount of catches he put up during the first couple of years, I mean, he was one of the best receivers oh, in the yeah. league at that point. All right. So – I didn't say he didn't put them up. I'm saying he had it the year before. So he, you need to do that consistently to be able to get away with this shit, right? It just seems to have happened over the last two years where he's had like this. I don't know. Just the <laughs> fact that you called him Mr. Big Chest is weird enough. <laughs> the fact that he's going on television telling people to call him Mr. Big Chest, he's dying his beard blonde. He's, you know, the foot thing, I feel like it's the least, the least worrisome thing out of all of this yeah i, I don't think it's a mistake it's an yeah. embarrassing mistake but it's a mistake i mean yeah. you know yeah it happens and even i think even gruden said that he said you know what the guy messed up we need him back he needs to get himself healthy but the helmet thing like that's just another that's just another distraction hey be ploy huh I, I tend to agree with you i do wonder though if and it goes into the whole sport right as a receiver if you're worried about seeing and comfort and taking a hit wouldn't you, I guess it's mandated by the league, but wouldn't you just let him sign a waiver that says no hurt on the NFL if I wear this old helmet? Uh, I think there's uh, there's probably a lot more legal, you know, paperwork that needs to be done for that. I, I mean, it's probably part of the player's agreement, number one. Um, you know, he was, the one, he was one of however many thousand players there are. He was the one guy that had issue with it. All these guys saw this thing coming for a couple well, of years now. Hang on. He's not the one guy who has issue with it. He's the one guy who's most outspoken about it. Like I said, so they Tom Brady was interviewed about no, it. He's, he's, the, he's like, the only he guy that refused. But he's the only guy yeah, who's going over the top. Right, but they all saw it coming. They all knew it was coming. This wasn't a surprise. Sure. Like, you know, they knew this was coming for a couple of years. And obviously it's a legal matter. It's not just like, oh, hey, sign this piece of paper and we're going to let you play. Now with all this CT, the, the player, the players union has to agree. The NFL has to agree. This stuff is all put in place years before. It's not like the NFL came out on, you know, July 30th and said, hey, we're changing helmets. That's a different story. This, was, this stuff was all in place. Yeah. So. Last thing I want to talk about with NFL, and then I want to get some baseball in real quick. So we're talking about preseason. One thing that bugs me, and I, I, I just can't deal with it, and I know it's a lot of gas bagging and people filling time. I can't, and I talked, I put it up on social media. I can't take this shit anymore of insert just drafted or second-year quarterback here, plays one possession in preseason. This guy looks like the real deal. Five for six, 60 yards. Da, da, da. Shut up. Dude, against guys that are either be bagging groceries in a week on the practice squad or out there just warming up, not playing, they're running baseline bullshit. He dink and dunked five yard passes. Like I'm just, I'm tired of hearing about it. Oh, you know that they, dude. I heard analysts saying that they, this team knows they made the right pick this year because a guy went five for six for sixty yards in one possession in a preseason game. Like, it's so far over the top. I just want to put a bullet in my head. That's what all this stuff is. So, obviously, you're talking about Daniel Jones, right? He's one of them. Yeah, he's one of, he's one of them. Well, but there was that, was that, that was the main one that, that 
that popped up because the guy did actually play well. But what we, you know, what we knew before that game even started was that there that New York was going to create this quarterback controversy. I don't think that there's one person in New York right now that could say with confidence that they want Eli as their starter for the full year. And with New York taking him with the sixth overall pick, I mean, you're going to want to see what that guy can do. So obviously you're going to jump to conclusions. And when he comes out and looks good, everybody get, gets excited, just like we would here in Philly. Let's say, you know, when Carson came out and, and looked good, everybody got excited. I know. You know? I, I hate it with preseason. I hate preseason. I hate watching it. I'm more interested, to be honest, like you said, in storylines, contracts, how free agents look on new teams and practice and stuff. I don't really care about preseason because they're running baseline stuff. The only thing that matters to me in preseason is that you don't get hurt. Like that, that's it's really even, all I care about. It doesn't even matter what schemes are running baseline stuff. It doesn't matter how vanilla their offense or defense is. The fact is the people that you're going to be watching on Sunday are not the same guys that are in the game. Yeah, that too. I mean, and dude, look at the Raiders. Like, you know, Gruden's talking up Nathan Peterman, who's the, literally the worst quarterback in NFL history. And like, he's actually know, Glennon looks worse than him, but statistically he's got the worst touchdown interception rate oh, in yeah. NFL history. And like, you know, they're Gruden's like, Oh, this guy, you know, he did it. Like, Dude, it's preseason. You've seen what he does in real action. So go ahead, throw him out there against baseline. I'm sure he can make baseline reads, but you've seen him throw seven interceptions in a game. Like, come on. I just, I can't, it, it's tiresome to me and I can't deal with it. But I, I do like, I like watching practice and I like getting reports from training camp, how guys are looking there, because that's what's important to me. Like, once the season starts, preseason doesn't get you ready for the regular season. Everybody says that. I'm tired of hearing it. What you watch out of a team week one and week two is not what you're going to see in week eight or nine because no, that's, they're not the same players. Yeah, they're not ready. They're not ramped up. And, and playing preseason does not get anybody ready. And, and that, this, this is kind of the start of the, like, this analytical movement because I feel like 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, your starters are playing – a couple, at least a couple series in the preseason, if not a couple quarters in the preseason, yes. where they weren't like, oh, let's, I'm worried about my guy getting Correct. hurt. And that's where all this money comes in. That's where all the money comes Correct. in. And and they're, the guys are now assets more yes. so than they are, you know, players. You hit the nail on the head. So with 10 years ago, preseason wasn't bad because you would have your full teams playing two full halves, right? Now it's one quarter, sometimes one possession, or not at all. Like Carson Wentz, I don't think will take a snap in the entire preseason, and I'm good with it. I'm mm -hmm. totally good with it. But the whole old school mindset of well, you need preseason to get ready for the regular season. No, you don't, because starters aren't playing on either side, so it's not that a series. Fine, run the motions, you know, get the juices going. But I don't need it. I don't need them to go out there at all. I really don't. Against some, you know, seventh round pick on the other team who's trying to prove himself. And then you see a quarterback or a receiver or a tight end get knocked out for the season. And it football is just, we talked about this with the pro ball. Football's not a game that you can't play a hundred percent all the time. If you're not going a hundred percent all the time, every single player on the field, injuries happen. The game suffers. It, it's just weird because of how physical it is. So I hate preseason. Yeah, I do too. And I think it's really weird that it's taken until uh, 2015, 16, 17, 18 to for teams to figure this out yeah. where they don't want their star hundred million dollar players getting on the field with six, seventh round picks. Totally agree. You know, it's kind of weird. Um, 
it, it, I compare it to uh, – so I wrestled in high school, and I don't yep. know if you, if you have any experience wrestling or not, but uh, when, when some of the experienced wrestlers used to wrestle with the inexperienced wrestlers, the experienced wrestlers end up getting hurt because the inexperienced guys don't really know what they're doing, and they're kind of going balls to the wall. That's exactly and, right. And they know who they're facing, and they know they have to go as hard as they can while the other guy is kind of taking it easy, not doing any, you know, just kind of going through the motions. That's a perfect example. Yep. I mean, that's a perfect example. When you've got, you, it's, dude, you literally hit the nail on the head. You've got guys out there who will be on the practice squad or not in the league going against, especially on the defensive side, right, trying to make a team, going against linemen who are out there loosening up you know, going through the motions, especially if it's first teamers or even second teamers, and you've got a quarterback out there who's helpless, and this dude's going balls to the wall, and he's going to try and take the quarterback's head off, and it's it's or he's diving at a receiver or linebackers diving at a receiver's legs who's coming over the middle. It's yeah. just football. And, football wrestling is another good example. There are sports that don't equate to not going a hundred percent. There's nobody there that's going to be like, dude, like turn it down. No. Because they know he's trying to make the team. Exactly, exactly. So I, I hate preseason for that reason. Yeah. Uh, a couple weeks, we'll be in a regular season. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more football. I mean, the big thing that we're going to do for the next show before the season starts is we're going to be recapping all the injuries. <laughs> it's going to be recap the injuries, huge injuries from preseason, and guys that aren't going to play, and then the contract situations for week one on guys like Zeke and Melvin Gordon and Dak guys that are looking for new deals and where they're going to be standing. That's what we're going to be most concerned with. Not the numbers they put up in preseason. So, uh, real quick, let's cover some baseball. Um, we're going to talk about just the state of where our teams stand right now as we're getting down to the end of the season. And then there was one topic I want to talk about that I put on social media, uh, that I thought was really interesting. So the season's winding down. Most teams have about 40 games left, so you're about 75% of the way through the season. Just looking at the current standings uh, in the AL, the Yankees are killing it in the uh, AL East. They've got like 81 wins. Uh, the Twins and Indians are both sitting at 72 wins in the Central. They're back and forth. And then the Astros are, are dominating out West, right? Uh, so then moving to your wildcard teams, obviously you've got the Twins Indians at 72, so whichever team doesn't win the division is still leading the wildcard race. Behind them, you've got the Rays at 71 wins, the A's at 68, and the Red Sox pretty much almost out of it at this point. I mean, I guess numerically they're not, but they're in a lot of trouble uh, at 64 wins. So what are your thoughts the on that? The Red Sox are surprisingly in a lot of trouble. Yeah. And, uh, yes, they are. I'm not necessarily disappointed yeah. about it, but they are. Um, we're getting to the point right now where you're seeing teams go through their, their waves. Uh, we saw the the Giants go through their crazy win streak. We are seeing now, well, the Indians have cooled off a little bit, but they're, they went through their win streak. The Mets were on an insane win streak. The scary part right now for the, the NL East is the Phillies haven't hit that place yet. Right. So let's talk about the NL. So the Braves are holding up the NL East right now. The Central, as per usual in the Central, or what, yeah, is just a, a mess. The Cardinals, Cubs, and Brewers all have 63 wins right now. So they're all kind of bunched up there in the Central. Uh, the Dodgers are killing it out West. I believe they have 71 or 72 the wins. The Dodgers are already. The Dodgers are running away with it. Um, so then, right then, right off of the, the Central teams, unlike the AL, would not be leading wild card right now. The Nats would be with 65, and then the Phillies would be right behind the Cubs, Brewers, Cards mix up at 63 wins with 62, and then the D-backs are very so much alive with 61. So 
a lot more teams. Well, maybe not a lot more teams live in the NL. It's about the same, but um, it's a little bit tighter of a race right now. And to your point, this is where teams need to go on runs. The Mets could still continue that run, but they went on their run to kind of get back into it. They're sitting right there at 61 wins as well. Uh, but the Phillies, so let, let's talk about the Phillies. Um, the Phillies got off to a great start. Obviously, Nick and I are here in the Philadelphia area, so it's kind of close to us. The Phillies got off to a great start, but kind of stalled, and they're you know having a so-so season. They've had some injuries. We, we can go through a post-mortem of the Phillies when the season's over, depending on what happens. But the big occurrence here this week is Charlie Manuel was brought on to be the Phillies hitting coach for the last 40 games. And it's caused a huge stir here in the city. Uh, if you don't know, Charlie Manuel was the manager of the 2008 Phillies World Series championship team. And so the question that I brought up on social media is, is there currently a more well-beloved Philadelphia sports figure than Charlie Manuel? And Eric Powell's chiming in, by the way. He says, <laughs> I'm going to try and do the Charlie voice. Uh, Charlie's going to make the Phillies uh, uh, hit a lot better, you know, uh, uh, you know, because uh, uh, like I, I'd like to see the ball in play. And actually, something that I wanted to talk about is what, what before we get into the whole reaction of him coming in, is the clashing philosophies with Charlie and uh, what the hell is the guy's name? Kapler, because... They, they, well, it's really the whole organization. It's not just Kapler's movement. Right. This has been a, a, an organizational right. movement for a number of years, and they're, right. and they're taking this approach. But there's, uh, you know, I look at it from a couple different, a couple different angles. Uh, you know, from an organizational standpoint, the Phillies, yeah, they're taking an analytic standpoint. But what are they doing with these numbers? So it's it's fine to have numbers. It's great to have information. But what are you doing with it? And I'll give you an example of the the Astros and how they utilize um certain analytics so they 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 made trades for certain guys that weren't necessarily having great seasons guys like aaron sanchez um because they see certain things in them uh for for sanchez in particular they they know his curveball spin rate is insane it's off the charts it's one of the top in, in the major leagues i think it's top three well they looked at it and said hey the blue jays aren't really using this guy's curveball he's not throwing curveballs what if we brought him in here and threw some curveballs and so his first two starts, he's been pretty dominant. Yeah. Like that's what you do with analytics, right? It's not just having numbers and saying, Oh, you're going to bat here in the order. Cause you do this in the order, or we're going to slide this guy over here in the defensive position. Like that's part of it. I get it. But there's another aspect of analytics that, you know, I really just think is, is being lost in all this. It, you know, people think it's just numbers and making decisions based solely on numbers. Well, there's, there's, you have to go to the next level on the analytics thing to, to actually see the result. So that make you, sense? You, do you make a hundred percent sense? And I want to build on that because I agree with that. I have been called a hater of analytics overall, and it's not true. I am a fan of analytics when practically applied that way, right? Moneyball is one of my favorite movies because I think Billy beer, Billy Bean was a pioneer in the ways to use analytics, right? He's using analytics to find play value in players based on contract numbers. To your point, you're able to get a pitcher who may not be being utilized right. The Cubs last year with Cole Hamels, everyone said he was done, right? Their analytics told him, no, there's something there. Let's bring him in. But you, I don't feel like you can run an entire team. Like literally have your have a computer spit out your lineup based yeah, it's on not possible. numbers. 
it's not possible, but that's almost the way the Phillies have gone. And to that point, basic analytics, baseball analytics 101, right, is launch angle and less balls in play. So Charlie Manuel, and Bob put up a famous Charlie Manuel quote, which is one of the funnier stories about talking about him as a beloved figure in, in the city, is it, well, you know, I got Pat Burrell hit the ball from the right side of the plate, and Jim Tomey hit the ball from the left side of the plate. You're, you're Manuel's way off. I, dude, yeah. I, dude, bro, it's been a while, right? I, dude, I haven't had to do the Charlie Manuel in seven years because he hasn't been here. Yeah. I used to have a good Charlie Manuel. Uh, so, but Charlie's philosophy, he does not agree with launch angle. He does not agree with analytics. Charlie's a put-the-ball-and-play guy because he's an old-school baseball guy, right? He said as much in an interview on 97.5 this week, stressing his philosophy about putting the ball in play. So when you bring a guy in who totally clashes with your up-and-down organizational direction on the approach to the game— it's sort of a head-scratcher to me. Don't get me wrong. I love the move because it's more of the way that I like to see it done and the approach, but that's not what the Phillies are supposed to be building here and the way that they're being run. So I'm sort of, in a way, baffled by the move, but also happy about it because I'm glad Charlie's back, and, and I think it's going to hopefully breed some life into the bats here. Well, yeah, so, you know, there's a couple – you said a lot of stuff there, but there's a couple different – ways that I view it. And I don't necessarily see it as a baffling move. I think that there's the ability to have both. So there's analytics, which is information. It's just information. If you get Charlie this information and apply it to certain approaches on an individual basis with these guys, you know, break it down. Here's what this guy does well. Here's what this guy doesn't do well. These are the counts that he does well. These are the counts that he doesn't do well. X, Y, Z. Well, now Charlie has the ability to talk to these guys on an individual basis about their approach at the plate. Where it's not just like, you know, let's and, – and obviously this is not how the conversations go down, but Gabe Kapler saying to Bryce Harper, hey, you you uh, you suck when you're, you know, 1-2, all right? Or, or, you know, 2-1. Don't swing at this count. Swing at that count. Like – I feel like the, the presentation of the information coming from Charlie is going to be much different than the presentation of information coming from Kapler or any of the other analytical-minded coaching staff. I just feel like there's there's a certain approach there now that wasn't there. And there's someone there that you can actually have a conversation with, and that's the second thing I think he's going to bring to the dugout is kind of like the grandfather-type figure that you can – you know, swing by his office in the clubhouse every once in a while and just sit in there and talk for 45 minutes about hitting or, you know, I just don't know if there was that guy there before. At least we didn't get a feel for that. I mean, I didn't get a feel that there was a guy in that clubhouse that you could do that with. But my, my I think the major thing is the first part that I said is that now there's somebody that can take certain information and, you know, talk about that approach using that information. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I sort of I want to talk about that a little bit because I agree with your premise, but I don't agree with where you're taking it only because one, and call me crazy, Charlie Manuel's in his seventies. Don't believe that Charlie Manuel is necessarily taking analytics into his teachings on how to hit and plate approach necessarily at this point in his career. No, no, I don't think I don't, I don't think that. I don't think he is, and I don't think they're giving him. You know, That's what I'm saying I don't. I don't think, I don't that think he used that type of thing. But here's listen, here, 
here's the thing with what you said about the one thing that's that's just bothersome because it's Kapler and his managerial style. I agree with you that there is analytics is only information, but the application of it is the important part. But that is Kapler, right? Literally, if Kapler didn't have analytical information to go off of, he would not be doing anything. He wouldn't be a manager. He'd be back to being on Fox, you know, reporting because that's all he does. There is nothing to his philosophy outside of the analytics part. And so, and again, and Charlie's only the hitting coach. So, like, this is still Kapler's team. And you're right. Having Charlie there is only a positive in the fact that, you know, he is that that father. You're looking, at, you're looking at two different things. You're that, looking at two that different things. That you can go to in the clubhouse. But, like, I don't see Charlie sitting down with a, with Bryce and going, well, you know, in two wound counts, this is what you hit this year. He's going to sit down with him and be like, hey, let's talk about your plate approach and see what we can do to get through it and work through things. There's not gonna, He's not going to have pronounced statistics, no. But you're talking about two different things. So you're talking about Gabe's management style based on in-game decisions. That's what you're talking about. Based There's on a, everything, based on his no, lineup, based on based on everything he everything he does is based on analytics. Right, but but so so the difference. There's two different things. There's in-game decision making, which is Gabe, which is based all on analytics, which is fine. He messes up a lot, but my point is, Charlie Manuel is not going to sit there and print out these stats of these guys and sit down and say, "Hey, Bryce, you're hitting 220 with." you know, with a full count, you're doing this with a two, one count. He's not going to do that. The point is, I feel like these guys in this lineup have already had this, these numbers and this information spewed to them. Well, now they can take that information that's been given to them and sit down and have a conversation about their approach, what's to do with what they've been told about their game. You know, all that, all those stats that have been, you know, what's your, what's their, your velocity off the bat, what's your launch angle, now they can have this approach with a guy that's done it a different way. And I don't think it's one way or the other. I think they can mesh together. I actually do. I really do. I really think that you can mesh your hitting approach with I think, information. I think you can, but I don't think that's what this team wants to do. That That's my problem. So if they I didn't want to do it, they wouldn't. That's they not wouldn't what he wants to do. He, like, he is not a ball and play guy. They have been preaching launch angle. You're acting like Kapler made this decision. Well, well he that's my point. He didn't. We clearly he didn't, because he would have never right. brought on Charlie Manuel as a hitting coach. Right? Right. I mean, it's it's kind of like grandpa looming over your shoulder here. Like he would never have done that. Clearly he didn't. I'm just saying from the the way that the team has been structured and put together in the approach all year, Charlie is a is a total clash to that. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying raises a lot of question marks about Kapler's future here, good or bad. No, it doesn't, it doesn't because it was mentioned at the press conference yesterday when they announced him, or two days ago, whenever it was, that he's only here for the end, the rest of the season. He's well, I'm not, not talking about Charlie taking over as manager. I'm just saying securing Kapler as your guy. Well, he was on the hot seat since since the, you know, the, the hot seat of the season. One, in my opinion. <laughs> he's... And he, we act like he doesn't know that. I mean, yeah, obviously he's been on the hot seat for a number of months now. Yeah, he. I he, mean, bringing Charlie in is not gonna, game one. Bringing Charlie Manuel is not. I don't feel like it's a threat to him any more so than 
you know, what you've heard in the, the media or the, on the radio, on TV over the last few months. I mean, I, I really, people are like, oh, what is that? What is that? The message that's, that's going to Gabe if you bring in Charlie. And it's like, I don't know. What are you going to hire an almost 80 year old guy to take over this yeah. club? And, yeah, I don't and nobody, that. No. they don't want that. And he doesn't. It's really that. just a change of approach. I really feel like it's to lighten up the the mood in the in the clubhouse, and it's to kind of give you that that grandfather figure to bounce ideas off of, to talk to, to make you feel a little bit more relaxed in the box, and to give you some tips like, "Hey, this is what we did with Tommy. This is what we did with Manny Ramirez. It's worked for them." Like that that kind of stuff. He's not going to be breaking down. You know, you know, velocities and stuff like that, like exit velocities. He's not going to be breaking down launch angles. He's not going to be breaking down that type of stuff. But at the same time, there's some wisdom there, and he's had success. There's obviously, he's he, he, there's something that he knows about hitting that. No, absolutely. Guys, a wealth of hitting knowledge. Guys, a wealth of hitting knowledge. So we'll see what happens with the end of the baseball season. We're gonna uh, we're gonna get ready to wrap things up here. A uh, couple of things as we close out. Nick and I are getting back on a regular schedule. So next week, we will be talking a little bit more fantasy football. We'll be seeing how this uh, this Phillies endeavor has worked out here. See where these teams are shaping up for the playoffs. We'll be getting ready for the NFL regular season. Be on the lookout since we're getting into football season. You know, last year we did many, many live appearance shows. They were all huge successes and a lot of fun, and you guys love them. So we'll be posting all of that soon. Don't forget, if you don't already, make sure you share these videos when we do them live on Facebook. And if you want to hear these, you didn't get a chance to catch them live, make sure you check us out on the iTunes podcast application. Make sure you search in quotations from underscore the underscore hill and quotations. Also on YouTube, same thing. Search in quotation from underscore the underscore hill. You can check us out. That's where we live. Do us a favor. Click the like buttons. It helps us out a lot. That's all I got. Prof, you got anything else? See you. That's it. We will catch up with y'all next week. Peace.